the gospel. What is it? And if it is true, what changes for you? We're starting a new series today, and I'm very excited about it. And it's all around this word, gospel. When I was young, my mother told me everything I needed to know about forgiveness that is found in Christ. And then I went to seminary, and I discovered this word gospel, and it changed everything for me. And I thought, why in the world have I not learned more about this word and everything that it now means for me? And so I found this word and the meaning behind it, and it was like I had dug up a diamond out of the earth, and I held it, and it was beautiful. And I wanted everybody to know about this diamond that I have discovered, and I, I began looking at the whole world through it. And as I saw the world through it, it brought color and life to all of the earth. And I began to see myself differently. I saw my friends differently. I saw the world differently. And I saw God differently. And I wanted everybody to know about it. I loved the gospel. And then... My friends and I, we all gathered around and we started looking at this beautiful diamond of the gospel and we discovered it and it did change everything about the way we saw the world. And then in the church where I used to be, I took groups through this and they they, they would say, how have we not learned this before? And I said, I know, right? Isn't this beautiful? And then something happened. I had new difficulties. I had new struggles. I had new sin in my life, and it was like the luster of the diamond got lost. So what happened? Was there something wrong with the gospel? Was there something wrong with me? Well, then I made another discovery. I found the whole diamond mine. And what I had realized is before when I was looking at this diamond that I thought this is the gospel and what I realized is the gospel is a whole mine filled with diamonds and the gospel it has a has parts to it and each part is good news for all of us but some of us are more attracted to different diamonds because of the wounds that we have in our life because of the brokenness that we have in our life, because of our sin, because of our shame, because of our stories, whatever they might be. Some people spend their whole life looking at one diamond. Scholars, pastors, they they look at one diamond their whole life, and that's good. We need people who will teach us about one diamond that's part of the gospel. But in this series, as we start it today, we're, we're looking through the whole mind. And what we're going to do is we're going to take down one diamond each week and we're going to look at it, all of its facets and all of its beauty and how it changes the way we see everything. And as we go through this, if this news, if this story called gospel, if it doesn't sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, then you're likely misunderstanding it. Or you haven't pulled down the right diamond yet. And heard it as good news. And what's interesting is some diamonds don't sound like good news to other people. And sometimes it does. You can imagine uh, if you've ever had a, a kid shine a flashlight in your eyes. It's really annoying. And they think it's so funny. But if you had fallen down a well 
and had been stuck there for days in the pitch black, and you saw a, shi- a shining flashlight blinding you, all of a sudden that flashlight becomes great news to you. And if you've ever been on the beach and a helicopter landed, that's never happened to me before, but I could imagine that the sand would sting you and burn and scratch at you. So this doesn't seem like great news about this helicopter coming around, but if you've been on an island, lost and stranded at sea, this helicopter would be great news. And the stinging of the sand would feel good, actually. And the point in saying that is that each and every one of you have a wound or wounds. You have brokenness. You have sin. And there are different diamonds that speak good news into that sin, that shame, the guilt, the brokenness, the hurt, and the pain. And so today, we begin this journey through the gospel, through the cave mine, and today we arrive at this, the good news as, well, the gospel as good news. The word gospel literally means good news, and the way we're going to see it today is it's a story about good news, and you trace through this story through the Bible, and here's how the the chapters go, creation fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, if you've ever heard this before, raise your hand if you've heard this before, like this, okay, so I've got something new for you today. So I, I see that you've heard this before, but I've got something new. It's a little new discovery, and it has to do with this word good. So, First thing you got to know as we're starting off, and there's not one Bible verse we're looking at, we're tracing through the entire Bible right now, but the first thing you need to know is the word gospel, when it shows up, you're meant to think good news, great news, the greatest news I've ever heard. And it's important that you don't see it as advice. Christianity is not advice about how you should live. It's not advice about what you should do. It is news about what has already been done for you. It's news, and it's good. And it's not just news about the past, but it's news also about the present, right now, in this moment. And it's news about your future. Something that's been done for you. What God has done, is doing, and will do. And the news is historical. It's true. God has rend open the heavens and he's come down. That's news. And so let's get into it. So, in order to understand the good news, you have to understand that there's a problem. You have to understand that you've fallen into the well. You have to understand that you're lost, stranded on some island. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the creation and the fall together. And here's how we're going to see it. The bad news, this terrible story about what's happened to us is the story about the lost city of Tov. What is Tov? Tov is a Hebrew word that means good. This is how the Bible starts off. It's it's starting off telling us about this Tov, and here's how it happens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, after all of it was created, this is good. There was darkness hovering over the face of the deep. There was chaos and there was void. And then God said, let there be light. Verse 3. And it was good. 
The next day, God creates more, and it was good. He creates more the next day, and it's good. All the way till day six, the crown of God's creation, humanity. God creates humanity, and at the end of it, he looks at all, and he says, this is very good. Now, he didn't create everything perfect. That's a common mistake people make. It was good. And when it's good, what it means is it has potential. It has everything it needs to reach perfection. What is perfection? Perfection means something has been brought to completion, to its end, to its telos, to its goal. But in the beginning, this is just the start of it. It's the birth. So tov, or good, has to do with potential. So here's how to understand this word tov. You take a seed. The seed's okay. It's a seed. Could become something. And then you take the seed and you drop it into the ground and you water it. And over time, a tree begins to sprout up. And we're getting, so we're getting kind of close to good. And then that tree produces fruit. Well, this is, we're getting better, but it's still not all the way good yet. And then those fruits fall to the ground. And over time, the seeds within those fruits get buried under the earth, and more trees start sprouting up. And then those trees sprout fruit. And you have this grove of trees. Now you have reached Tove. Because tov is about life, the potential for life. It's about abundant life. It means there's something here that has the potential to flourish. So what does all that mean? Well, God created Adam. Adam means humanity. God created Eve, which means life. And then Adam deposits his seed into Eve, and then Eve gives birth. It's this good, there is life beaming. And then God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which means to have more babies. But teach those babies what it, life is like in Eden, the goodness of Eden. Take it and spread it over all the earth. Here we find what Tov is. The meaning of all of this is that humanity was created with a purpose and a mission. And that mission and purpose is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, but then take what is in Eden and expand it over all the earth. So the creation story was just the beginning. And Eden was just a little garden that was supposed to become, that was supposed to fill the whole earth. And then... Something happened. Genesis 1, Genesis 3, verses 1 and 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So the serpent tricked Adam and Eve, and they ate. You know the story. And then it says, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden. So what happened here? Well, I want you to notice something. So the very first thing that Adam and Eve do when God comes looking for them is they hide from him. Now think about this. God is Tov. 
He's goodness. He's life. He's abundant life. He's the source of life. And what are Adam and Eve doing? They're hiding from the one who gives them life. They're hiding from life. This is in the very beginning. Already in the garden, they are running from life towards death. He goes searching for them. But they're hiding. Now, to be cut off from God, because this is what's happening. They're cutting themselves off from God. And by doing that, they're cutting themselves off from life himself. Fast forward to Jesus. He comes on the scene and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Meaning he's the root system. And to be joined to him is to be joined to life itself. When we are sent out of Eden, we are cut off from life. And we become like the walking dead. Physically alive, but spiritually gone. And then the question is, who's to blame for this? Is it humanity or is it the serpent? And the answer is both. In this story about the lost city of Tov, we are both victims and villains in the story. We are victims in that, yes, we've been tricked by this great enemy. And had that enemy not been there, this would not have happened. However, because the enemy is there, because this, this wise, shrewd snake comes up and whispers into the ears of humanity, their heart is revealed. And what is revealed is that they do want to run from God. They'd rather not be under his rule and reign. They'd rather be gods themselves. And so the test is before us still today. What will you do? Will you join to that which is life, that which is tov, that which is goodness, or will you run? Apparently, we still run. So we've been tricked, but we've been tricked because we had a heart problem. And essentially, this is how the, the Bible call, defines sin. And, and people will say, well, what is sin? Sin is separation from God. No, sin is not separation from God. Separation from God is the result of sin. The Bible says sin is lawlessness, it's rebellion, it's idolatry, and it's cosmic treason. And at the heart of what it is, is it's the desire to be away from God so that you can rule and reign, so that you can be the king, so that you could build your own kingdom. And so we run away from him and we try to build this good life, this tov life. Only we're cut off from that which is life. And so by running from him, what we end up building is an anti-tov. Because how can you produce life when you are cut off from that which is life? At the core of all this is just the want to be our own God. And so then we, we sit there and you know that feeling like you want the good life. So you begin making decisions and you begin doing things so that you're going to get to this good life. And then because God is gone from you in many ways, you have to love something in the place of God. And so you pick something to love. And as you do that, you always obey that which you love most. So you begin obeying this thing. And so you've already took off running from God. And now you're loving things in the place of God, which are teaching you to live in a way that's contrary to the way God would have you live. And what you end up building is this kingdom 
that is the anti-Tov kingdom. And the result, the Bible says, of all this is that we become exiled. And what happens here is, you see, the Bible says that God sent us out, but we were already running. So while we're running from God, God goes ahead and sends us out. And there, away from Eden, we begin to feel the weight of shame and of guilt and of corruption and of pain and loss and toil. And it continues to grow and build and build. And so what do we do? Well, we've been, we've been trying to build a good life. We just want a good life. So you, you do the best that you can. And what you do is you find these false hopes. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve did. So if you know the story, there's this part where God says that the seed or the child of Eve will crush the head of this serpent that has brought this great evil into the world. So what do Adam and Eve do? Well, actually, we, we find this in the story. There are hints of it everywhere. They're putting their hope in Cain, their firstborn son, to be the one that brings them back to the lost city of Tov, to bring them back to Eden. And we know this because what is, what is Cain's job? Cain's job is to work the ground. He's like a farmer. He's constantly looking at the soil. Now, what slithers around the ground? Well, a snake. And so his job is to, one, farm, but yet also to crush the head of that serpent when he sees it. Only, instead of crushing the serpent, he crushes the head of his brother and kills him. And it's because his parents put all this pressure on him to be the one to bring us back to the lost city of Tov, which we do to our kids, by the way, all the time. They become our good life, and we put all this pressure on them to restore us back to Tov, and that's going to lead them to do the things that Cain did, to run and rebel, because it's too much for them. And so Cain runs and builds a city that is disastrous. And so that leaves humanity continuing to search for the serpent crusher. So now let's move from this horrible story of this lost city to moving forward now to the redemption and the restoration of this lost city. So I want to read to you another creation story. And this is the beginnings of something new, a new potential, a new tove. So it's about Jesus, Okay, John 1, and, and John calls Jesus the word here. And what I want you to see is that it's important to notice that Jesus was there before creation, and he was part of creation. He's part, part of the meaning he was the creator. So listen to what it says. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so he's Tov. And apart from him, there could be no life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's life. He's creator. And then, fast forward, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The creator has just written himself into the creation. 
This is a reinstitution of the creation story. This is a reinstitution of Tov. This is a fight against evil and death and everything that is painful. Because why? Well, the king of Tov has come. In Mark 1, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The word repent means to turn back. It's to say, you've been running from God, and you've been running off to build this kingdom that is the anti-Tov. Turn back. The chant of Christianity is to turn around and discover that the king of Tov has come. He's after you. Turn back to him. So he's here. And then I want to read to you this king who's bringing goodness back into the world. I want to read to you what the world does to him. It's like another fall. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and led him away to crucify him. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Now I want to read to you what happens to Jesus when he dies. And when I read this, I want you to think of him as the seed that has fallen down into the earth. And as the seed dies, life springs forth. It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, which means he died. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what does that mean? What is this curtain? Well, when you walk into the temple... During that time, there was a curtain. And if you go through that curtain, it was reserved for one person to go in once a year. And in there was the very presence of God. When it says the curtain of the temple is torn from top to bottom, that means that the, the wall between life and death has been ripped open. And now all have access to the presence of God. God is tov. He is life, abundant life. And so now all have access to enter right in. Then look. Then this weird thing happens. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So the chasm between life and death has been opened up. The Humanity locked in its grave. The serpent crusher comes and is crushed. And then it opens up the chasm between life and death. And all of these souls that have been locked up then burst forth like seeds coming up out of the ground. It's the beginning of a new creation story. And then Jesus' resurrection. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. 
for he has risen. So goodness, Tov, enters into the darkness, enters into death, and then bursts out. The goodness comes up out of the evil, and there we follow him up out. And it's important that you understand that he's come to redeem you as both the victim and the villain. He dies and rises to claim victory over evil and death. But he also dies and rises to purchase your forgiveness and free you from sin and all of its effects on you. So you're both forgiven and alive. You're guiltless and free. So there's a debate in the church today. Is Jesus primarily seen as the victorious king, the lion who did away with death? Or is he seen as the lamb who has come into a courtroom and is given the verdict of guilty though he was innocent? And the answer is he's both of those things. It's just two different diamonds. He's both the victorious king, yet he's the lamb. And he dies to make your record tov, or good. But he dies to make you tov, which means alive. And he dies to make our world ignited back, like a bunch of pilgrims just on our way back home. And without him, the world becomes like the anti-tov, like the world Cain was building. And today, in this moment... Now even, we wait with tears, with screams, because we're not yet home, and because our king has not yet fully come back. We're waiting for him to make all things fully good, fully tove, all new. Revelation 21, 4 and 5, this is the restoration of all things. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. I mean, can you imagine? No hurt, no death, no pain, tears have been wiped away, and somehow, in some way, the worst of the things that have happened to you, somehow it's worth it that they happened to you, because somehow it's made what is to come all the greater. The city gets restored. Now, why do I keep calling it the lost city of Tov? Why don't I call it a garden? Well, in Revelation, at the end, we're told that the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven and begins to dig into the earth, dig into the soil, make itself united as one, consummated with the earth, heaven and earth together. And the city is called the New Jerusalem. And it's God's city. And this city, Jerusalem, means the city of peace, the city of shalom, the city where all things are good and everything is whole and as it's meant to be. And it's that way because Jesus is the king. And when this happens, we will have finally learned our lesson. We'll never do what we did again. Because he's given us a new heart. 
And he's tuned our heart up in such a way that it's in tune with his heart. And we together with God sing out this song of a new creation. And we'll finally be able to do the work that we were always designed to do. To take Eden and spread it over all the earth. That's when it will begin, and that's when it happened. And it's happening now even, but we're fighting so hard. We have to work, and the work is toilsome, but at some point, we're going to love every bit of work we're doing when the king returns because it's going to be good and productive, and we're going to see the beauty of his kingdom spreading out over all the earth. Evil will be bound up forever, never to be released. And so the question is, because we, this, this, is, this is, right now, this is the story. And we haven't really got to what does that mean for you. And really, that's the rest of the series. But today, I just, I, I don't want to leave you without anything to do, any type of response. So how should you respond to this? Because this should seem like the greatest news you've ever heard. And if it's not, you're missing something. So how do you respond? Well, your whole life, you've been building something. You've been building a home here. You've been building a little kingdom, and you've got this little cottage that you've been, you just want the good life, and you've done okay with it. And then you hear a knock on the door, and you open it up, and it's the king of Tov who has come for you. And he says, it's time for you to leave everything behind and come out on this adventure and follow me back to the lost city of Tov. And there's going to be struggles and difficulties along the way. There's going to be pain and there's going to be loss along the way. And you're going to keep on wandering and you're going to sin and you're going to try to run from me, but I'm going to keep chasing you down until eventually we arrive at the gates of the lost city. And we're going to enter in. But you have to leave it all behind. And you have to follow him out. And so he's knocking always. So open the door and follow the king back. Let's pray. God, we do ask that as we prepare to explore this beautiful diamond mine, that you would begin to show us the wounds in our life, the sin, the shame, the guilt, the loss. And you'd begin to expose those wounds so that the healing balm of the gospel might make us new. So God, prepare our hearts right now for what is to come in the future in this series. Show us our false hopes, show us our false joys, all the things that we're chasing, and show us that ultimately we need you in the end. So come to us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.